Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew, and tonight I'd like to welcome former military police officer and CIA operative, master hypnotherapist, and private investigator and researcher of human alien encounters, Mr. Daryl Sims. How are you doing tonight, Daryl? I'm glad to be here. It's, it's a real privilege. Great, great. Well, I'd like to start with a little bit about your background and kind of what got you started in your current field of research. Well, uh, actually, um, there's two, two sides of that. First is uh, I bring a heavy investigative background from the military police uh, when I volunteered during the Vietnam War uh, in the military in the United States Army. And second, uh, I uh, spent two years of my three-year hitch in the Army uh, stationed in the Central Intelligence Agency in covert operations. I was sheep dipped, and that means simply they take you out of the military and uh, make everybody still think you're in, and then uh, they place you or sheep dip you, move you to their own operations. And uh, so I'll bring you a background from that as well. And then I've been a private investigator for 30 years. So uh, I bring all those for an investigative aspect of the phenomena. So that's uh, from a professional point, that's where I'm coming from. From a practical viewpoint, uh, I experienced my own abduction at age four in Midland, Texas, and uh, that forever changed my life. But what uh, brought me to an abductee to a, uh, an alien hunter is they came and got my son. Uh, when they did that, that forever changed my uh, outlook on things. And uh, you can tamper with me, you can get away with things. I'm a big guy, I can handle it. Uh, but when you come after my children, right. you're in trouble. Right, understood. So can you tell us a little bit about what your current investigation um what you know what it entails what your everyday research entails well uh, realistically um i uh, spend uh, about half of my time uh going to conferences and um, i'll be in contact in the desert as an example uh in uh, on the may 31st to the third of uh, uh june and there is an example, and I'm going to in a, numerous countries from the this year alone in the uh, uh, United Kingdom. Uh, then from there, I'll travel immediately over to uh, Italy, and I'll stay there for ten days and uh, and do investigations there, and then finally do a conference for them as well. But uh, in meeting in these conferences, people come to me privately uh, many times. And they ask all kinds of questions. And, and like you, they watch my work. And, uh, and some of these people are very serious in as much as they'll go to a conference two or three times. And when they hear me and see me enough and attend my workshops, they realize this guy is not only serious, he's, he knows what's going on. And, and they, they validate me. And uh, if, if once that happens and until that happens, they remain in the shadows. They stay quiet. But when they come out, they come out with some fascinating information about their case and about what's going on with their life. Now, 
could you talk uh, about your experience in the CIA? Uh, could you tell us anything about what you did in the CIA? Well, I could tell you, Chris, but <laughs> you know the punishment for that. I do. Of course, of course, uh, of course I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I have a lot of funny stories I could tell about that. Uh, there is one conference, uh, one conference, one only conference in the whole world that I don't get to go to. Uh, Carla Turner, when she was alive, she said, uh, uh, why don't you invite Daryl Sims? He's one of the best people I've ever seen. He's the best friend of mine. And they said, once CIA, always CIA. So he's spying on us. Well, I got news for you. You don't have to spy on anybody in the UFO community. All you got to do is order the tapes. You don't even have to attend the conference. <laughs> it's really funny. But what I did in the CIA was um, several things. Number one, I was a martial arts instructor there. I was, uh, as I said, uh, uh, part of a military police uh, component, special unit uh, there as well. And um, I was a weapons instructor there. And uh, our work, of course, was in covert operations in the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, basically, the CIA, Mossad, the KGB, any intelligence agency, I don't care who they are, uh, they exist with two primary objectives. One is uh, uh, they have, <clears throat> they lie and they lie consistently, and they all do. And they have to because in the intelligence business, you can't let anybody know what you're doing. And which brings up the alien. The alien functions just like an intelligence community in my viewpoint because they simply can't let anybody know what they're really up to. So what you get are these whoppers that they tell different nations, different nations around the world, and I've been to a bunch of them, all have a different story about the alien, about where they are, who they are, what they're doing. It's the same thing with Native Americans. So we're going to have a Native American conference here in Houston, uh, representing several different tribes and uh, several different perspectives primarily. And my point is that every one of them's got a different story. You know, that, look, I used to be a cop. And if you've got a dead body laying on the floor and eight people standing around and I walk in and say, what's this knife doing in this body? Who did it? And everybody looks at you and tells you eight different stories. Guess how many people get to go downtown? <laughs> Every one of them, right? Find out what's going on. It's so it's it's a it's a ruse. It's a red herring or a whopper. It's a lie. Uh, many of these things uh, you can't get eight stories in a row from about the same exact event and expect them all to be true. I just don't buy it. Right now, you said that you were abducted at an early age. Can you tell us about that experience? I can. Uh, the, uh, the event happened when I was uh, four years old, approximately four and a half years old. And uh, I had no idea what was going on. It was uh, 1952. Goodness sakes. It's, uh, I, uh, nobody knew anything about aliens back then. There was no TV of showing alien stories and movies and things like that. And nobody had interest anyway and would know what to w None of it made sense. So I'm laying in bed, and I don't realize then, but I do now, that the, the entity had just brought me back, placed me in bed, 
and uh, I had a suspicion that something was serious was going wrong and opened my eyes very quickly. And I noticed he was walking away from me. He's walking toward a wall. And I thought, well, he's going to bump into the wall. I didn't know he was going through the wall. Uh, I, I did, didn't know that. Right. So as soon as he heard me think that, he turns around. And I, this was really weird. He turns around and I hear him mentally say to me, it's awake. And I realize that his, his little tiny mouth doesn't speak. And he's got a large bulbous head. He's got, he's pure white. He's uh, large black eyes that are perfectly round. They're not, uh, they're not like the Hollywood version, the elliptical eyes you see on the, in the, these books and things like that. This guy had perfectly round eyes that were very large, uh, almost no nose, no ears, and very skinny. And he, to me, he was large because he was bigger than I was. <clears throat> and uh, I, the strange things, and kids notice things sometimes adult, adults don't notice or don't get right off the bat. I noticed that, first of all, it's winter. It's very cold. I'm under a lot of covers. And he hasn't got any clothes on and I, as I look at him, going down from his large bulbous head to his, and his black, large black eyes, which are mesmerizing, <clears throat> I look at him and I notice he doesn't have any mammary glands, he doesn't have a belly button, and he doesn't have a T-team. If you don't have those things, um, we did so to speak and second there you froze up there for a minute you froze up you froze up after you were describing what he looked like <clears throat> you said he didn't have he didn't have any genitals and then he you didn't have any genitals whatsoever and his little kid four years old it, he didn't have a tt so right. i realized he didn't have any equipment like we did and certainly not like i did and so i just was really confused by this whole event what, how to get in my house, how to get in, and I mean, wear your clothes, it's wintertime. None of this made sense to me. And I realized, uh, it, of course, after investigating years after this, that if you don't have genitals, uh, you're not procreating, you're not, and, and you don't have belly button, you weren't born, you were either hatched, cloned, or manufactured. So you got here some other way. So the question is, who are you and why are you in my room? And he never would answer those questions. Wow. So was that the last encounter you, that you personally had? No, it wasn't. Uh, there was, um, let me see. The best way to describe this is I had been events between four and age 13. Uh, excuse me, age 17. And at age 17, my events ended violently with uh, five entities present that were not even in, still not in UFO literature to this date. But the, the next major event was we moved to, from Mayhill, from, excuse me, from uh, Texas, <coughs> excuse me, from Midland, Texas to Mayhill, New Mexico, which is uh, right in the middle of nowhere, basically. It's a little tiny town. Uh, it's literally, you're on one side of the street or the other. And uh, it, it was really hilarious because the Baptists lived on one side of the street and the Church of Christ lived on the other, and that's basically the way that the little town was divided. But one night, uh, 
I walked out to, uh, and this is, again, you know, uh, about 1953, 54. It's, I mean, it's <laughs> long time ago. And we were building, uh, uh, my, my dad was, was building a, a house, a little house. And we were living at the, in a basement of a building at this time. And so we, there was, we had an outhouse. And uh, outhouse is an outdoor bathroom. And so we would, I went out there that night to use the bathroom. And as I opened uh, the door to leave, there was the same cosmic skinhead looking at me that was there before, that picked me up before. Wow. So this was a, a shock beyond understanding again, because here he was, I was out in the night. And as I shut the door, there he was standing there. And uh, the next thing I noticed is uh, the next day, which was Saturday, I was out uh, uh, pulling the heads off of uh, dozens and dozens of grasshoppers. And I couldn't figure out, why are you doing that? Why, why would I be, why am I killing these little insects? I love animals and, and bugs and things like that, and there are lots of them out there. And I couldn't understand why I was doing this. And I got I finally pulled one of the little bugs right next to my face, and I looked at it real close, and I realized that's not him. It was a praying mantis that got me the night before. That's who they took me to. It wasn't a it wasn't a grasshopper. It was a praying mantis. Had you ever experienced anyone that has experienced military abductions? <clears throat> there, th this does show up once in a while in conversations. Uh, in some of these events, I, I can tell you categorically that the alien will lie, and and uh, they're the best. They are masters at uh, using what I refer to as uh, the true um, uh, Stockholm not Stockholm syndrome, but the true. Uh, masking of uh, their actual intentions. In other words, they can make you believe anything. They, they can make you believe uh, uh, anything standing there. Them or your relatives, deceased relatives, doesn't make any difference. They're, they're masters at this. And sometimes they will uh, develop a, a case where they'll have the alien look like to you in your mind the military. And sometimes they do that to make the abductee doubt their own military is a good example. In other cases, we have uh, reason to believe that, in fact, some uh, intelligence agency was present and uh, that they may have actually staged the event so that the uh, quote-unquote alien abduction actually didn't happen. It was someone else staging it. And uh, that can happen, and I'll give you one good, clear example for your audience. I was on a radio show a long time ago, uh, back in the 1990s, a very famous show with uh, a famous guy. And he said, uh, he asked this question uh, about uh, military abduction and so on. And what happened was uh, I got 600 phone calls and emails in the next few days, one of the phone calls was from a guy that uh, as I spoke to him, I realized, and I have a top figure clearance, and I realized that guy's, he is so far ahead of me, he's way above my pay grade, 
And I told him, I said, I need for you to get off the phone right now, immediately. Hang up, get off the phone, and don't ever call me again. And he said, but I'm an abductee. He was actually crying. He was really upset. He's wanting help. And he's the only person I've ever turned down for help. And I said, listen to me carefully. I am not that important. They monitor my websites and so on. I know that. I've got good intel on that. Uh, crypto intelligence uh, uh, operation guy told me one time in great detail of what they were doing. And I told him, I said, it's not me they're really interested in. It's who's contacting me. And you're in a perfect position to lose your career. Now, in his case, if he's really an abductee, and I think that he was, it would be behoove them in the intelligence community to, quote, unquote, abduct him in a scenario which would make him think the alien was there again, and then he, they would retrieve all that information and find out that he would, they would, in effect, find out if he was compromised or if they were compromised. And under that circumstance, I certainly could understand why an intelligence community would do something like that. Very interesting. Now, with your work, you actually do surgeries or assist with surgeries to remove implanted objects that the extraterrestrial has placed in these in your uh, in your cases. Is that correct? That is correct. I've done twenty five surgeries, conducted twenty five surgeries thus far. The last case that uh, that we did the surgery in was in India. In fact, I'll go back uh, hopefully this year and do two more surgeries on the same patient because uh, there were three objects in this lady. And the surgeon who, uh, well, I hired the hospital and, uh, and then hired the surgeon through the hospital. And uh, he did not know what I was doing. And uh, I didn't want him to know. Uh, he never knew anything about the word implants or any alien or anything. As he began to look at the uh, x-rays, of the other x-rays of the lady, he said, this is absolutely fascinating. He looked at me and said, Mr. Sims, when you come back to New Delhi, would you allow me to be, do the surgeries on these others? He said, these are far more interesting than the ones you removed. And I said, I certainly would. At that point, I knew he had none of these objects were inside this woman of her own volition. Uh, she did know that they were there. She was present and, and was conscious during the uh, during the time they, the entities were talking to her. And the, they, it, it's fascinating because in the UFO phenomena, generally there are seven flavors of, or kinds of entities that will show up in these events. You may have, in my case, like the one I had with the little gray alien, or the, and the, the second one would be a taller alien, which is, uh, looks just like him, but he's taller and he's a lot smarter than this little, the little guys have an IQ about 80, 85. They're not that smart. And they literally make so many mistakes. Sometimes you can't even get your clothes on right. The second one is the, which uh, sometimes we, people refer to him as the doctor. He looks just like the alien. He's just bigger and he's a lot smarter. He's got an IQ of about 130, 140. And he's very smart. And if you're um, in some cases, a human, uh, entity will show up. Some people refer to them as a Nordic. 
they will be uh, blondish hair, but that's not necessarily always true. They have black-haired ones. They have uh, red-haired ones. Uh, in fact, the, the Native Americans a long time ago used to call them sasistas in different terms. Uh, they were the white, white men before the white men got here and uh, really befuddled. The, uh, they couldn't figure out who these guys were. And then sometimes you'll see the mantis being, uh, who is extremely intelligent. And then sometimes you'll see some of the guys that are more in charge. And that is, in fact, the reptile. And that's what she finally, they, the human ones brought her, the grays, uh, the, the human ones brought her in, introduced her to the reptile guy. He lied to her, of course, and said they were going to implant her in the, up here in the clavicle area and uh, she wouldn't feel it. She wouldn't know anything. She did. And it was very painful. And they also put in two other implants, which they did not intend for me to find. They intended for me or someone to find the first one. They said it would never be noticed. She would never feel anything. Well, it's very obvious. It was a, it was a pretty good size bump on her uh, above her clavicle in a, a shoulder muscle area. And, it just, it just, it just, it was a lie. That's all there is to it. Now the other two were very well situated, very well placed in the side and in the thigh. That's the two that the surgeon was absolutely fascinated with. And, uh, I didn't, I still hadn't told him anything, but, uh, basically these, uh, these things are, uh, they're invasive to say the very least. The, the objects are, uh, they retrieve or, in our opinion, retrieve or transmit information uh, to the abductee, to the, to the alien. In other words, aliens sometimes will, can come to a person and you may never physically be taken anywhere. You may be just there. And the reason is he doesn't have to take you because there's no point in it. All he can do is download or upload the information. It doesn't make any difference. Now, the, the fascinating thing, and this is really important for your audience to know this, there's a lot of stuff on the internet that is simply misleading about the alien implants. Number one, they're very rare. Number two, all, if you're an abductee, it is highly unlikely that you have an implant. Highly. I look at hundreds of x-rays every year, and I can assure you most of these people do not have alien implants. They just don't. Now, have you ever had any of these tested? We have. Uh, the, first, uh, the first cases we made public were in 1995. And uh, the, uh, the two of them, one of them came from the hand, and one of, another one came from another patient from the top of her foot. And in that case, they had, there were three objects uh, removed from the woman and one from the back of the man's hand. And the cases are fascinating. And, but the, the bottom line is, it doesn't matter if it's a foreign object, what is it? And if it isn't extraterrestrial, it can't be an alien implant. Well, that's, that's, an, that's an, a bad assumption. The alien uses things of this planet uh, all the time. But to answer the big question, was it extraterrestrial? Of course it was. But they, it still doesn't uh, miss the point. It misses the point that... Uh, that the alien can use and does use things that are biological or, or whatever uh, or about us. But in this case, 
The metal objects that were retrieved were tested by Los Alamos and New Mexico Tech, and they found the objects to be from a rare uh, meteorite called the Widbanstaten or the Yautschung meteorite. And they developed a special microscope that uh, fired a laser into it, uh, into the implants, and it contained the gases that would come off of that uh, implant. And they found 11 different elements surrounding the so-called meteorite or little needle-like projections a quarter inch long that made no sense to them. We found a crystalline belt surrounding one of the implants that made no sense to anyone. What would that be doing on a meteorite? Of course, we never told them that these so-called meteorites were housed in a biological cocoon that the pathologist said was simply impossible to be in that location. Very fascinating. And so I understand not only have you seen implants, but there have actually been entities. I would guess you would say uh, being uh, women being impregnated with entities. Is that correct? That is correct. Uh, there was, uh, it's just kind of a funny story. And I, I have some good friends that are MUFON people, and so I don't want to belittle anyone here. But MUFON had just come out with a statement that many of these women who claimed uh, these so-called pregnancies, alien pregnancies, in fact, were not, they were not alien, that these women simply didn't know their bodies or that they uh, were hallucinating, oh, various different answers. You know, uh, many doctors do this. They, they're going to give a prosaic answer to these people uh, because this simply can't be true. Well, a friend of mine who was one of the top investigators in MUFON at the time invited me to his home up in Minnesota, and there were a bunch of MUFON investigators there. He said, I'd like for you to give a small conference to these people. I said, I'd be glad to. What would you like for the subject to be on? He said, well, of course, alien implants. I said, but they don't exist according to MUFON in the sense of the word, um, <clears throat> the worst implant in my opinion, and that is, that the alien would uh, literally uh, install a, an alien fetus inside a human being. And so I did the implant presentation. Everybody was very impressed, very happy. And then I said, here's the worst implant that ever was, in my opinion. And then I showed them sonograms of an alien entity in a woman. I'm telling you, you could have dropped a pin on a carpet and heard it hit. They did not move, they didn't say a word, and they were horrified to see this alien fetus inside this woman. And the worst part of it was, I said, and for those of you who think this might be photoshopped or something like that, I have the sonograms. These are pictures of the sonograms. And second, this is a, a fascinating story because I didn't believe any of it. Because the woman came to me with a story that, in, that involved something of the intelligence community and the alien. Not together, but one spying on the other. The intelligence community was spying on the alien. And this, the, and I just didn't believe it. I th what, a, what, a, what a whopper. And then I got the sonograms. I took the sonograms on my trip to the United Kingdom to the finest fetal hospital, the baby hospital you could imagine. And, and I met a doctor there and I said, I'm a private investigator in the state of uh, the 
Texas and I would like for you to look at these sonograms and I just tossed them on the table in random and said, tell me what you think of them. I said, this is not a criminal case. I'm just looking at these wondering, are they valid? Are they real? Or is there anything, are they okay? And she said, I'll bring in a consult. And she's a specialist. She brought in another consult. And they both looked at everything and she started rearranging the sonograms. And she said, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. That's not right. I said, what is it that's not right, doctor? She said, whoever took these sonograms was not interested in the fetal development of the fetus whatsoever. See, that's not there, that should be there. And she said, oh my God, what a strange little head. I mean, a long pointed chin and a large bulbous head, this just doesn't make any sense. And I gathered up the sonograms, put them back in my pocket, said, I want to thank you for your assistance. And, uh, and they just stood there with their mouths open. They could not figure out what in the world this fetus was. They were looking at the fetus of an alien entity inside this woman. And the scenario goes like this. The alien then comes back and picks up the fetus within the first trimester. And then you have this so-called spontaneous abortion, or you think you do. And there's no fetus, there's no residue, there's nothing. And the worst case scenario, you'll be pregnant and your doctor will diagnose you with a dual pregnancy. And this is not uncommon at all with the women that go through this phenomena. You'll end up only having one child and there's no fetus of the other one. It's gone. What's worse than all of that is your child, five or six years old, becomes an abductee. And they say, Mama, why didn't you tell me about my sister? What are you talking about? My sister. You don't have a sister. Yes, I do. I met her last night on that craft. And the mother just horrified. Wow. Now, what do you think some of the purposes of these, um, you know, the, uh, the fetuses would be? Were they using it for some sort of genetic experiments, do you think? Well, again, uh, <clears throat> I, I, I want to kind of make this. <laughs> uh, I'm not very kind to the alien, as you can imagine. They call me the alien hunter. Um, <clears throat> evidence means everything to me. I don't care too much about opinion and, or even mine because it, I, I use seven different hats to look at this phenomena. One of them is the native American hat. One of them is a science hat. One's a medical hat. One's is an intelligence hat and so on and so on. All these give me seven different viewpoints to look at the same phenomena. Some of the hats don't even agree with each other. It doesn't matter to me. It only matters what I find with the hats. Most of us have a UFO hat. The problem with the UFO hat is it can be fooled, and it often has. It's been fooled by the intelligence community. It's been fooled by fake U UFO people. It's been fooled by liars in the UFO community. It, 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 it's easy to fool. And that hat is a fun hat to wear, but it is, uh, it's a mistake to rely upon only that hat. It, I, I just think it is. So one of the things I want to say to you and your audience is there's three levels of truth with the alien. 
the first thing they tell you or the first thing that you see with the alien for the most part is not true. For instance, well, they must be doing DNA experiments on me or on us. Why? They're here to upgrade us or something like that. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's the ruse. The alien has not it told the true story of their origins and everything else to anyone yet. They keep making up other stories. Every country I go to has a different story. I went to Turkey. They said, oh, we don't have any aliens here. They don't do that. And I said, actually, they do. And he said, the guy listened to me for seven hours on the flight on the way to Turkey. He said, well, just, that's fascinating, but we don't have that here in Turkey. I said, yes, you do. He said, no, we don't. I said, tell me about the jinn of Islam. And right. he got scared and said, we don't talk about that. They might never bring you back. You don't talk about them. I said, okay. It's the same group of guys, buddy. It doesn't make any difference. You can cloak it with your religion. You can cloak it with mythology. You can cloak it with science. You can cloak it with medical stuff. It doesn't make any difference. It's still a whopper. So that's the first thing. They, the first impression or information you usually get from the alien is incorrect. And I'll use myself as an example. When the alien was there, and I realized he wasn't supposed to be there, and I didn't know who he was. Uh, I wasn't paralyzed. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't anything. Four years old, in bed there, and I'm sitting up in bed. And the next thing he, I realized, is his eyes moved. There was certain a small amount of movement in his eyes, and I could see that clearly because there was an ambient light in the room, and from the outside, our well house had a light on the outside that shone through my window, so I could see him clearly. And I instantly became paralyzed. I have never in my life felt fear. At four years old, you don't know a whole lot about fear or anything. And all of a sudden, my whole world changed. And I finally realized after becoming an investigator, and then I've got over 2,000 cases worldwide, and I realized at that point, this guy, this is not my fear. This his fear. He's transferring his fear to me. They live in a structured society that is so different than anything you and I can imagine. We apply humanness to them, say, oh, they must be doing DNA tests. They must be doing this. They don't have to be doing anything you think. The things that we're given to think about were given to us and are often patently untrue. The second level of truth, and this is going to sting a little bit, is they give us misleading information, and to the best investigators out there, are you ready for this? You're often spoon-fed your best information. Right. <laughs> so, and, and, and I'm not a conspiracist, don't get, don't get me wrong. When my, uh, there's a lady who's been with me for 25 years, Jolene Ray Harrington, and she came by one night when I was doing a presentation, and uh, this was in, uh, <clears throat> in California, and she heard my presentation. She came by and she said, I said, do you have a question you want to ask or anything? She said, well, I'm not a groupie. I said, I didn't think you were. She said, I just want to ask you this question. You made an astounding statement up there. And Dr. Jacobs has spoken. You had just spoken. And you said the best investigators are often spoon-fed their information. I said, they are. She said, how about you? I said, I'm no better than anybody else. I said, they spoon feed me too whenever they think I need it. 
to get me off course because I'm too close to a truth. She says, well, I don't get it. And I said, listen to me. The only difference between me and many other investigators is they don't know it. They think they just got great, unbelievable cases, the best intel, the best everything. They truly get it. And I said, you, when you're spoon fed, you have to know that somebody's pulling your chain big time. And I said, I've discovered fluorescence, an alien fingerprint, basically on abductees of fluorescence that we checked them with. I've discovered implants in 1960 in my own case, because that's where I discovered implantation, because I went through it myself. And fluorescence we found on people in 1992. I said, my point is simply this. <clears throat> Anytime you get close to the alien, I don't care how smart you are, they're going to spoon feed you something new, something so unique, something so good. You're just not going to be able to leave that thing alone. And the third thing, the first is uh, the first, your first level of information is either false and patently untrue. Second level, it's misleading or you're spoon fed uh, if you're a really good investigator. And if you're not spoon fed anything, you don't have to worry about anything because you're not good enough to be, to, they don't need to feed you anything. You're already on the wrong track. And third is when you get close to the real issue. Now you've got problems. And then you will have intelligence people and other people watching you very closely because it's, it's not you they're interested in. You're not, you're not the big shot. I'm not the big shot. It's the level of information you're getting. And they know it's true because they already have it themselves. That's when you know that there's a problem. So that's, a, and I'll go back to myself very quickly. The reason, after I became paralyzed, the entity started walking toward me. I was so scared, I pushed, I had a little cot I slept on, and I pushed so hard when I fell backwards, I was so paralyzed and scared that it pushed the bed apart and I fell, uh, it made a Y in between the wall and the bed, and I fell between the two, I still wrapped in my covers. I bounced my little head off the floor and the worst nightmare of any child could ever have happened. It really, it couldn't get to me easily. So it lifted up my covers under the bottom of the bed and lifted it and stuck its big head right up next to my face with that large black eye shift. It projected an image of a horrifying clown. It wanted me to remember it as a clown. It's a perfect, it, <clears throat> this is a, the, the perfect screensaver memory where they give you a false image, a, a literally false memory syndrome was started by the alien. They're masters at it. And he wanted me to remember him as a clown and it was a bad dream. And I kept shaking my little head, no, 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 no. And at age four, if I could resist, you can resist at age 20, 30, 40, 50, 80. doesn't matter. You can resist. You, you can do differently. And you can uh, acquire different kinds of information through resistance. And I, I had a horrifying image of clowns after that. I knew it wasn't, he wasn't a clown. The clown that was trying to get, make me believe something else wasn't a clown that he wanted me to think he was. And many abductees have a horrifying imagery of clowns and uh, hor horrific fears of them. 
that would make sense as to why some people might see animals or dead loved ones or something uh, during an abduction. Is that Absolutely true? true. Absolutely true. Uh, one lady called me not long ago, is a dear friend of mine out in California, and she, uh, said, uh, she said, well, uh, I had an event the other night, and I said, well, sweetie, tell me what happened. She says, well, uh, I heard the, the doorbell ring. I said, sweetie, you and your husband live upstairs in a large home. How did you hear the doorbell ring at three in the morning? And use, it's usually 2.11, 3.11, 4.11. It's usually the time frame of where you get abducted is usually a multiple of, it's a 1.11 scenario. I was born on 1.11, so I know this stuff very well. Anyway, she said, around downstairs, but listen to me. Why would you get up to go answer the, the doorbell at 3.11 in the morning and your husband, your daughter, nobody woke up, only you. And why would you run to the door and just swing it open at 3.11 in the morning, you know? I wonder who that might be. Right. Said, it was my, my dead uh, relative. I said, anything unusual about your dead relative? And she, besides, other than the fact that he was dead? And she said, well, he had kind of a greenish color to him, and I couldn't understand that. I said, what did you do, sweetie? She said, I, I, well, I just went jogging like I, I do it. Sometimes I jog at night. And I, I said, you went out there. <laughs> oh, my <Wow>. God. <laughs> I can't, this perfect stock, it's a Stockholm Syndrome where these abductees and contactees will basically go along with anything the alien will project to these people, anything at all. It's absolutely amazing what happened, what they'll go along with. And they're completely hoodwinked by the stuff. And they're, they're being truthful themselves, but they don't know what's going on with them. Now, earlier you had said that in most of these cases that there's reptilians in charge. Uh, now, is that something that you experience all around in, in most every case, that there's usually a reptilian in charge? A great question, and the best way to frame this for your audience, I think, is to let me describe the entities carefully. And again, this is going to sting to some of them a little. Uh, first, you got the little gray, you got the taller uh, one, the gray, that's the boss, that's the, the doctor type. You've got a, a, a reptile guy, you've got a praying mantis guy, you've got a human being type guy, some people call the Nordic, and you've got another guy stand over called Bigfoot. Yes, we've seen him in abductions. We've seen him on the craft. He's been been there. Uh, I can give you some absolutely incredible information. Eight witnesses at one time saw all seven of these flavors standing there. And my point is simply this. This is, this is critical to understand if you're going to understand anything about the alien. These are not alien races you're looking at you're looking at seven different dna models if you look at them carefully again take off your ufo hat because it's not going to help you here you're going to say well there's aliens from other planets no they're not there may be aliens from other planets out there somewhere but these guys are not the, them you say how do you know that well first of all Put your cop hat on for a minute. It, it may be a little uncomfortable, but put it on and I'll help you with it. 
Let's look at, just look at them critically. Hmm. Uh, uh, first of all, the reptile, where in the world are you going to find reptile DNA? You probably won't find it on Jupiter, probably won't find it on Zeta Ridiculi, but you might find it on planet Earth. You've got plenty of reptiles here, lots of DNA to, to make that. Well, what about human beings? Well, we've got plenty of human beings here. Uh, where do you suppose they got the human being DNA? Uh, well, I don't know, maybe Saturn or somewhere? Probably not. So uh, what about Bigfoot? Well, we have ape-like creatures here all over the planet, don't we? Where would, where would you get simian DNA? Probably planet Earth. Planet Earth is a cosmic Walmart for DNA. That's where they're getting this stuff. And you take the DNA back out, out there in the neighborhood, in our solar system. We have a pretty good idea of where. And the point is you can recreate, quote, unquote, alien beings to come down here and convince people that they're alien beings from other planets. In fact, the alien himself may not know the difference because that's, he's a program in itself. And what I'm trying to tell your audience, these beings are hatched, cloned, manufactured, or made with the purpose of making us believe that they are aliens from other planets. There may be aliens from other planets. I'm not knocking that. I don't know. I hadn't been out there. I don't know everything that's out there. But I do know a lot about these seven characters. And I'm telling you that they are not it. And so the real question is, why are they here? What are they? One, in fact, one of my native friends, because uh, there's two views, primary views among natives. One is they're here to help us to save the planet, fix those on hold, and so on. And two is the other group, uh, like some of my Cree friends up in, in, um, in Canada, they're not here to help us at all. In fact, they're here to do some terrible things. We better wake up. So my point is simply this. If you buy into their goodness or, or they, uh, the program they're running on you is not harmful in any way, in fact, it's pleasant, you're going to consider them aliens from other planets, and it's a wonderful thing. If you're like me and you wake up and you realize, oh, my gosh, there's something wrong with this picture. I need a new hat. I need another way to look at these guys. As I told my native friends, I, they said, but we call these, I said, what do you call them? He said, we call them the ant people. I said, listen to me carefully. You're my good friend. If they're called the ant people, why do they call them ant people? It's because they live underground. I said, I don't disagree with that either. But listen to me. I said, in the ancient pictographs on the, on the caves and walls, around the world, and especially in, South, in, in this country, you'll see some of these, in these pictographs are over a thousand years old, at least a thousand, some of them much older. You'll actually see some of these entities with little antenna on their head. They look like ants. Look at an ant head closely and look at the alien head and see if you don't see a similarity. No wonder you call them the ant people. The DNA is still from here. You're missing the whole point, and that's what I uh, try to get across to my friends. Now, if these are just cloned entities for interaction with us, would you say there's someone else over them in charge or something? Somebody would have to be in charge because it's like it, 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 we can take this down on a human level too. 
you say, well, we just got here by accident. Well, that's possible. I don't buy that because uh, this is, in my view, an observer created the universe. And uh, the science has been behind that for a long time. And that uh, your observation on anything can alter it. And somebody's been observing us and, and all of this, and this is how it's come. And God is a good, an- a good answer for it generically. Uh, but there are other things too. And the other things out there uh, are the ones who made Hatch and Clone manufacture these guys to do the work for them surreptitiously. And if you ask the alien about this, you'll get things like, we're ridiculous. And you, you say, or they'll say we're from Saturn or we're from Venus. Well, if Venus is a little hot right now, you probably get a real bad sunburn if you tried to come from Venus at all. Uh, real hot place there. And uh, might get a little cold on Saturn. I don't know. Uh, but uh, it doesn't make any sense. The, their stories are, are whoppers. It's, it's like me asking somebody in a crime, you know, where did you just come from? Uh... Uh, I came from Walmart. Uh, okay. Well, Walmart's not anywhere around here. Uh, uh, I'm in the grocery store. Uh, there's no closed grocery store here. Uh, I'm in the, 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 uh, the little uh, uh, dollar store over there. You're making the whole thing up. You're just exchanging. And they, and they do this a lot to people. And anytime somebody lies to you consistently, and I'll make it personal. Anytime a guy lies to his girlfriend consistently, she needs to find another boyfriend. <laughs> right. He's lying. He's telling, he's selling some whoppers. Anytime the alien lies to you and you catch him lying, and if you know what you're doing, you can actually catch him, uh, you need to rethink your position of who he really is and what is, what, what, who he is, number one, and two, what the program is that he's running on you that you don't even know about. Yeah, definitely. That's the real conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. And, uh, you know, I always did see the grays, you know, from all the stories you hear as, as more of a robotic type of entity, just kind of like a worker bee. Okay. I, I, I can, I can, I can help with that. I think uh, we have reasonably good evidence that some of these entities are biomechanical. One of our abductees tore the eye cover off of one of them on two different occasions, and we saw a red stippled screen underneath the black eye with little white lines, five little white lines running there, like you might see on a computer screen in a, in a medical hospital. That would indicate he's biomechanical. So that's a pretty good indicator right off the bat. Uh, some of them appear to be completely mechanical they even when they walk together they even move in in harmony and others appear to be bio entities they're bio biological for sure the thing that seems consistent with many abductees and even some contactees that wake up and realize oh my gosh there's something wrong with this picture is they'll say the same thing and here's the thing they say i mean this is especially if you touch them one lady reached over and touched one of them on the chest. She says, and she's a contactee, by the way. She, and that means she likes these guys. She said, oh, my God, he has no soul. Well, bingo. He's hatched, cloned, and manufactured. God's not in that picture. 
somebody else is. Right. Yeah, that would definitely make sense. Now, um, I'd like to get into uh, your, your methods of collecting evidence from a scene. How do you go about collecting evidence from an, an abduction scene? Okay, very, very good point. Uh, and, and I'll use a case we had uh, some time ago, uh, a case up it was referred to be out of Canada. Uh, uh, Brian Vike said, uh, told the lady, said, uh, you need to talk to Daryl Sims. He's the one that knows all about evidence and this sort of thing. So this lady contacted me out of uh, Pennsylvania, and she's uh, he's a black lady. I hear her over the phone. And I said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions before we get into this. I said, tell me your nationality. She said, well, Mr. Sims, I'm black. I said, yes, ma'am, I can hear that in your voice pattern. But what I need to know from you, I said, most of us are not pure anything. We're just not. And she said, oh, well, we're, I'm Cherokee Irish. I said, now that makes sense. I said, 45% of the people taken are, are Cherokee or Native, best to say, Native American, Irish, Celtic, or Scottish. 45%. Absolutely an astounding number. There's no actuarial for some of this stuff. It, it doesn't even make sense. I said, so, <clears throat> so I went up there and, uh, and to investigate the case, and I went there, and there was a, had a, a TV team with me as well, and uh, I found a fingerprints. Uh, that didn't make any sense. I found a handprint on the wall. But unfortunately, the mother had, the grandmother had drawn a picture around it, and, it, and I've still got it. In fact, I, I cut the sheetrock out of the wall and took the handprint with me on the sheetrock. The father was horrified. He said, what are you doing to my wall? And the, the woman looked at him and said, don't you, don't you interfere with Mr. Sims. He's doing exactly what he needed to be doing, and I told him to do it. And so he backed off real quick. So uh, I got that, brought it back, and uh, I tested for fluorescence. And uh, so we, we go to – we look at a, uh, a situation like that, especially a fresh scene, as if it's a crime scene. And that's the way you really want to treat it. You want to keep people uh, off of everything you can. Uh, and it, you you just you have to treat it totally different than that. You don't just walk in and start uh, walking over stuff. In other words, if if I suspect the aliens actually visited this person, the first place I'm going to check is the place he entered, which is usually the closet through a wall, real near the bed or the closet. That's why many abductees and contactees have a phobia of closets. They either have to have the doors wide open or have them absolutely closed, locked, shut. And because that's where the entity will often come in. They have some, uh, some idea about that. And the second thing is I don't want anybody tampering with the floor next to the bed because that's often where you'll find fluorescence if the entity's actually stood there. He's coming from the closet right beside that bed. So these are things... Uh, one of the ways I would, I would approach as an example, an area like that, especially if it's fresh, if I know this event happened last night, I don't want anybody in the room doing anything. And uh, the best way to approach 
when you hear the story from the abductee, it's like they say, well, he came from the closet to my bed and he did this, he did that. He took me somewhere and then brought me back or whatever. Uh, the first thing I want to do is to go close as possible to the floor right next to the bed. And I'm going to bring a black light, specialized black light. I have a, a, a special black light because over $500 had a, an engineer make it for me. And I can see all kinds of nanometer lengths of fluorescence with this specialized light. And I want to also check the floor next to the bed for two things. One is fluorescence. Number two, smells. Because the entity has a, a specific, distinct odor. And those odors may be, they'll range from like the smell of burnt matches or sulfur. Sulfur will show up a great deal. The second odor that will be most prominent will be uh, the smell of rotten, decayed uh, leather or rotten, decayed uh, cardboard. They're very strange, very strong smells. Very, very interesting. Now, you said the entities would come through a closet or a wall. And I've, I've heard stories of people saying they've been taken through their walls when they were taken. Um, has that, is that something you've come across? And if so, how do you think that's occurring? Certainly, we, we have these stories. I have 2,000 cases worldwide. And, uh, and, and, and I've worked these cases, uh, by the way, uh, uh, free of charge. We never charge these people anything. Uh, uh, all our work is philanthropic. Even the surgeries we've done have been free where I could, can do that unless they have insurance or something like that. I beg Barry and do anything I can to get uh, people to help us uh, on these things. And uh, we're, we're putting some of that information up on our, on our website now on alienhunter.org. But the, uh, the primary thing is that these people uh, only about, and, and I need to say this to your audience, about 80% of these people are not taken anywhere. That, that is, some people are going to get mad when they hear that. No, I had to be untaken. No, you had, didn't have to be taken anywhere. The fact is many of the, the events, the entity comes into the room, mm -hmm. uploads, downloads information, and that's it. But in some cases, in 20% of the cases, they do take you somewhere. But they don't always have to. Sometimes they do for a reason. And uh, that, it's just that simple. And they'll take you through a wall. They'll float you about, usually in a prone position. Sometimes you'll walk. But sometimes you'll be like on the bed, and they'll grab the edge of your foot. And then another reason people have focus of they have to keep their feet covered up or they wear socks when they go to bed they don't want anybody touching their feet, that sort of thing. And because that's where they grab you, they'll just walk you right out, literally, and you'll be floating right out bed level. And sometimes they'll take you out through the ceiling right straight up. It, uh, there are different ways that this, it depends on the mechanism you, they're using to transport you, so to speak. Very interesting. I wonder if they're somehow trained, uh, changing your vibratory rate so that you can actually move through these solid objects. In my, in, in my opinion, uh, there, that, there are all kinds of explanations. And one of the best is simply, in my view, is that they're transferring, they're doing something to you, to your molecular system, so that it, it literally uh, uh, loses its gravity. 
And when that happens, you'll float, you can fly, you can, you can walk through walls, you can do all kinds of stuff. And it's a process. It, I, I think that it is, uh, it, it, it involves all kinds of things, and not, not only the mechanics. Of it, it, so it's not just a so-called alien uh, skill, that sort of thing, or technology. It may not even be technology. But uh, the point is that from our viewpoint, uh, it's simply a, an ability to make you uh, literally weightless and, uh, and you'll literally float. And it's, I've seen entities that were so small, it was amazing. And they could float a 300 pound man out without a problem. Wow. Very interesting. Now we've got a few minutes left. Um, you do hit in the therapy and this is to try and, you know, find out what this person actually experienced. For the last few minutes that we have, could you talk about maybe one of the most fascinating uh, sessions that you've experienced um, during your hypnotherapy session? Sure. Uh, one of the uh, uh, CNN came to my home for three days and wanted to do a special on me. And uh, I uh, brought a uh, two people with me. They're very, uh, they're uh, excellent citizens in the city of Houston and are both abductees. They're professionals, by the way. One of them's a therapist. And uh, I had worked with him in hypnotherapy. And uh, CNN, they claimed they were going to do a totally unbiased program. Well, I called them fake news. This was back in 19, uh, late in the 1990s. I call them fake news. And when I heard Trump call them the same thing, I laughed my head off. I thought, that's the gospel truth because they flat lied about everything. Right. Uh, they, they just did. And anyway, long story short, so I told them I'd never give them another interview, and I haven't since. The, uh, they, they said, well, we think that probably what you did was uh, you, you hypnotized him and you made him believe all this stuff. I said, really? Uh, you were leading him on. I said, all questions are leading, sir. I said, do you have any special skills in hypnotherapy? No. Do you have any special skills in therapy? No. I said, I trained therapists, PhDs in psychology and psychiatry and so on in some of the areas that I function in. I said, and for you to question me, you have absolutely no medical skills, no hypnotherapy skills, no skills whatsoever on how cognitive information is, is acquired, stored, kept, and retained. And I said, and you sit there and question me? I said, let, uh, so let me t carry you backwards. I said, I knew you were going to do this, so I, I, I'm, I waited for you. I said, first of all, this young man's stories, he got picked up when he was a child and would be with another little boy, and they would be found in different parts of Houston. Now, how do you suppose they got there? By taxi? Right. All they described was an alien that took them, and the police never, I said, there were police reports. Uh, these kids ended up clean. On, uh, Houston's a huge city. And I said, and so for you to question me, I said, second of all, I said, what you don't understand is these stories are they're verifiable. You can check them. It's what he mean. I said, when I work with a person in hypnotherapy, which is not my primary modality for getting information, I said, and it's the last thing that we do, not the first, the very last thing. I said, I ask them things about the weather, what time of day it, it is, and everything. I said, what happened on May 13th? What was the weather like on May 13th in uh, 
1976. He said, I have no clue. And I said, is it interesting that he does? And I said, and I can go back and check those weather reports. I said, if that information is correct, it's, it's a good, good indicator that I've got them in memory and that they are actually giving me good quality information. Something that you have not been able to do and that you have lied from the minute you got here. And these people have not. I said, I brought a psych report on these people. I said, you should have brought one on yourself because I'm not convinced that you're sane. <laughs> Very good. Now, um, as far as your uh, hypnotherapy goes, is there any other, um, you know, cases where you could describe maybe what the, uh, you know, what the person's experience was like for the time being that they were um, being abducted? Yes, uh, the, it, there, the, there's several different things about it. Anybody can, anybody can hypnotize anybody. You can learn how to hypnotize people. That does not make you a hypnotherapist. It makes you a hypnotist. And there's a world of difference. I treat cases like they are archaeological finds. If you found this bone sticking up in your backyard and we looked at it and we realized this was a, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex, you don't go get your best friend who's got a back end, got a front end loader and tear up an unbelievably good uh, archaeological site. You don't do that. You call a specialist in, uh, if, if people that, are, that know how to handle these kind of cases. The same thing with myself. I would not go out and grab a hypnotist and say, oh, you must be a hypnotist, so I need to be hypnotized, so therefore anything you get out of me is going to be truth, and it's not going to be recall. It's going to be pure memory, right? Well, of course it is. They don't have a clue. How do they know what the difference between memory and recall is? How do they know the difference between what the screen memory is that the alien put on you or an intelligence community or anyone else? How are they going to know that? You're only going to know that through, number one, by your skills, and second is if you've actually been an abductee, you've been inside that alien's head. If you've been a victim your whole life, you never, you ne yet they ran your show. When I was four years old, I decided he wasn't going to run my show, and I wouldn't let him, let me remember him as a clown. My point is simply this: I've been inside their head. I know how they think. I know what they do. I know how they do it. So I use that to a huge advantage. I know how they install screen memories. I know why they put blocks inside people where hypnotists can't get to them. You can get to the regular stuff. They don't care about that. It doesn't mean anything. Remember what I told you about the first level of truth? It's false. They don't care about it. doesn't mean anything. What they're concerned with is that you might actually find out what the program is. Now, now you've created a problem, and you're going to create some problems for yourself. Right, right. Now, one last question. What do you think about Trump's Space Force? <laughs> uh, I, think, uh, I think that he's, uh, he's on to something huge, and I think he's one of the few presidents that, that uh, has got his head screwed on. And the reason I say that is most presidents don't know anything about the UFO phenomenon. Just because you're the president doesn't mean you get to know everything. You're only in there for four years, or eight years if you're lucky. Most of them know little. Kennedy knew a fair amount, not much, but a fair amount. Eisenhower knew a lot. 
and he regretted that he was not able to get a handle on that thing. Kennedy knew enough about it. It got him in a lot of trouble, a lot of trouble. Trump has decided to make a space force. There's a reason for that. Number one, I've told your audience that you better beware of these guys, these so-called aliens, and some of them are not here for your best intent, and there may be other purposes. So one of the reasons we don't go back to the moon anymore, and I've asked numerous astronauts this, why is it that you left the moon? You filmed it, you left, and never went back. And the, the scuttlebutt, the so-called myth among them is this, that they told us not to come back. Well, who's in charge of the moon? It isn't you. So who's telling us what to do? And why are they doing that? What's the purpose? What I mean, there are all kinds of, uh, I, could, I could spend a whole hour just on my time with the D JPL. They invited me to an, a, a meeting for the Cassini project. That's where we went to Saturn to find out what was in Saturn. And I asked them at that, I was only in ufologist invited to the Cassini project at JPL in Pasadena, California. And I asked them the big question, why did you leave Mars to go to Saturn? Why would you send the first nuclear package spacecraft to Saturn? What did you find on Saturn that interested you, that you would leave and do that first? They closed that entire meeting down and said, thank you, ladies and gentlemen. There are free drinks in the back and gifts for everyone. And uh, they, I was never, they never addressed the question. Never addressed it. We need a space force. So you don't think that there's already been a secret space force in place? There are all kinds of theories about that, uh, and there may have been. I don't know because I wasn't there, so I don't address things that I can't prove or know. Do I suspect that we have uh, things out there better than the things we're flying around in? Yes, I do. <laughs> are all the UFOs we're seeing flying around there the alien? No, they are not. They're ours. So is a, it's, it's this, or it's, so am, am I fooled by that? No, I'm not. Remember the first level of truth for the alien. It's patently untrue. Those are alien spaceships. No, they're all not. No, right. they're not. The wonderful thing I told my native friends, and I'll tell this last thing for your audience. I said, it's fascinating to look at these pictographs on the walls and see the alien literally has a ram, a sheep, taking sheep off the earth up into the spacecraft. The first case of mutilations and stolen animals abducted as well. I said, they're, they weren't here to save your sheep and they're not here to save your, your cattle. They're not here to save or help you either. It's, there's, the, there's three levels of truth with these guys. And the first one's patently untrue. The second level is you're being spoon fed or misled. And third one, is you're, you're close to the fire. And I think the fact that they have a space force, I think Trump may be opening up for the first time in 50 years, at least 50 years, something, at least a, just a glimmer of hope that we might be able to find out something, what's really going on. And I assure you, if he talks too much or finds out too much, they'll shut him down just like they have others. Right. Yeah. And that, that's a whole other show to talk about there. But Daryl, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. 
that was fantastic information, and I'm going to have to definitely have you back on one day. I'd love to be back, Chris. You're, you've got a great program. Great. Thank you so much, and you have a great night. Have a good one.